Hello, everybody. Pat Sherwood here with the Very Not Random podcast. And just like I promised last week, episode 21, packed with so much great information, we had to split it into two parts. So this is episode 22, the conclusion of myself and Adrian speaking with Michelle Moots on training special populations. Before we get on this, you mentioned like a heavy lifting day with seniors. And, and even though we haven't said it outright, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say it now, even though because it's obvious to all three of us, but maybe somebody um, listening isn't. These people are doing CrossFit. Like oh, yeah. They're, they're doing yeah. constantly varied function moves at high intensity, and intensity is relative to the individual. You know, for some people, like you said, sitting and standing up is intensity, and it's not mm-hmm. laying in a pool of sweat after Fran on the floor, non-communicative and non-ambulatory. You know, it's probably not what we're going for, this population. <laughs> you said... Seniors and heavy lifting. What a what a glorious combination of oh, yeah. items in that. And you know, when when we'll say sometimes who needs to go heavy, everybody does. And this is proof positive that those aren't just empty words. We actually really mean that. So how old are you talking about with people lifting heavy and, and what does that look like on a squat or a deadlift or a whatever day? Uh, our oldest athletes. Were if you don't, I want to. I want to hear weight belts are going on. They're chugging they chest pumping, <laughs> oh, yeah. ACDC pumping. <laughs> so I, I have a few, a few good stories about this. Um, our oldest athletes. We had a group, a group of three that were ninety-seven. Wow, that is mm-hmm. so cool. Yeah, they were still coming in, and they were they were buddies, so it was cool. But but I mean that age range. So our our demographic on the seniors was sixty-five and up. And we didn't have too many towards the lower end of these. I would say the average age in our seniors class was probably uh, 80. Okay. Well, it was probably the, okay. the average age. Um, <laughs> to enter into, and it was really, think about this from a, a generational thing, primarily for the women who, when they were being brought up, that was very taboo to lift mm-hmm, weights sure. or do any form yeah. of exercise. So to now say, here's a barbell, Let's go to it. You know, right. that was a, so you got to talk them into that from the, from the get go, but they got into this and it was funny. Like looking at a couple of the guys that hadn't really done weightlifting since they were, you know, back in the day. So uh-huh. it was <laughs> you know, like chest bumps, high fives going on. Cause it was there. They were reliving the glory days with all of that. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> Having said that, um, a lot of front-end instruction, obviously, and a lot of scaling that had to happen with things that you don't necessarily think about. One of the big issues we had was shoulder mobility as people age and being able to get, they can't get the bar on their back in a basket. I know I'm speaking to the choir. That'll be me. <laughs> so it was finding Pat, ways of, yeah, totally. <laughs> It was finding ways. We had a lot more safety bars and we had a lot of things like that and, and adapting into that stuff and, and figuring out how to put them under load. But those were probably our busiest days. People loved it. They absolutely loved it. The okay, safety awesome. bar is awesome. Yeah, yeah, I got a question, Michelle. And this is one, this is a layup, but I think we got to pause here and, and ask it. Okay, so you're previously a physical therapist. You've coached CrossFit for a long time. Why? Why bother lifting heavy with this population? Why should, why? Oh my God. Uh, because it's their their ability to to maintain any kind of quality of life was dependent on it. And I used to explain this to them because we got that question a lot from them. Why would I ever do yep. this? How much do you weigh? Was always my first question to them. 
because you need to be able to get your body weight from the ground to a standing position if you mm-hmm. fall at home. And I need to make sure that you can support your own body weight. And I don't care if that's under a barbell or in a ring row or whatever we happen to be doing that day, that that was, it was a light bulb moment for them. Like, oh, like if you can't pull yourself out of a chair, <laughs> that's a problem. And really relating that back to the things that they were doing every day in life, whether that was an activity. We had a lot of um, archery that was coming in there, which is interesting. I don't know if there's like a shooting, not a, not a gun shooting, but like an archery shooting range around there. So those are the things and relating that back to the activities that they wanted to do. And hey, this is going to improve all of that. We preach that all the time. You know, when we teach seminars that no, like Pat said, nobody should be, should be getting out of this. Mm-hmm. It's just relating it to where it makes sense to them because they think that's a younger person's activity that they don't need yeah. to be doing that anymore. And so to tell them like, hey, if you fall, there's no different difference between you being able to support your weight enough to get yourself back to a standing position versus you did you get up any, a deadlift bar. did you get any buy-in from talking about the physiology and the response behind it like for example was there any sort of added gravity to saying hey you know what your bone density is going to improve <laughs> you know your lean muscle mass is going to improve did, did, did they care about any of that or, or was it more like a raw functionality outside of the gym mm. that seemed to be more inspirational. Both. Um, we actually had a handful of the women in the seniors class. And, and keep in mind, this is a population who's going to their physicians on such a frequent basis that um, most of that was, they're far more in tune with all of that than someone who's 20, 30, 40, that is maybe going once a year. So most of the women had had some form of a bone density test done previous to starting the program. And we had three of them that their doctors asked them openly, like, what are you doing? Because they (laughs) got off all their meds and had totally reversed all of their bone density issues that they were having. So I didn't need to have that conversation because their physician was having that conversation, which in that generation, they don't question anything a doctor tells them. So it was really the buy-in at that point was like, my work here is done. I didn't even have to say anything. So the evidence was so far uh, down the road that they they would have they wouldn't have questioned it at that point anyway. They they could see it and yeah. feel it, and it was it was great. Took care of itself. It's so. almost like CrossFit works. Who would have? Like who would have? But how oh, is yeah, that possible? Like I heard like it was really so good. darn dangerous. <laughs> this sure. doesn't make any yeah. sense. Did, Crazy. You know, yeah. there's a lot of people when they think one rep max, they think. Eye popping, one RM deadlift, shaking like a leaf, takes you 15 seconds to get it up. I've I've heard some people say, don't do one RMs with an older segment of the population. You should only do threes or fives or whatnot. What what was your experience? We did it all. Nothing was off the table. (laughs) Roger that. Roger that. What that meant was depending on how long you'd been in the program and where you were functionally. Mm -hmm. So yeah, we had a lot of people deadlifting off plates and boxes. So what? They're still picking weight off the ground. So it was um, scaled like everything else. But why wouldn't I do a one rep pass? Why wouldn't I do a snatch? I got asked that a lot. You oh, do, really? Wait, you make you make these people snatch? Like, yeah. So, you know, maybe that was with a dumbbell versus a barbell. But why wouldn't you? We had a lot of training bars and, you know, appropriate weights for that. But think about, to me, I think that gets missed a lot with that population that they're fed this line of 
um, <laughs> avoiding complex movement patterns because yep. it's just too much for you. Absolutely. Right? Yep. yep. And my argument was, whoa, hang on. That's exactly what you need to be working on. And so everything that we did, we started every class with the seniors with some form of balance and proprioceptive work and working on all the neuromuscular patterns that were going on there. And that what, would continue would within the like? class. It changed every day. We were trying to do a lot of um, walking heel toe. You know, imagine you're on a straight line, you know, mm -hmm. DUI test. Right. right. Like, they're sure. going to fake me because they'll never get arrested. <laughs> awesome. um, yeah. And just identifying to them how much of an issue that was within. And I, I would say seniors, but I think that's just a general population thing. But you can improve your balance. You can improve your proprioception if you work on it. And it went from that to, okay, now get behind a pull-up rig and lift one foot off the ground, now close your eyes, you know, and just up in the ante a little bit with them as they improved. But the theory behind that was, look, if your balance improves, you won't fall. So mm -hmm. you won't have to get up off the ground. So it just yeah. was taking them back to understanding like why that was so important. And then really reinforcing, we were, again, always going back to the things of why are we doing a clean and jerk? Well, because the complex movement there is really beneficial for you guys to have to think about this. And yes, it's hard. It's hard for me too. It's hard for the 20 year old. It's hard for a 10 year old, whatever. Mm -hmm. It's just, it's okay for it to be hard. And if you stop trying to do that stuff, then we lose capacity in it. So yeah. they at that point had kind of like, okay, we'll do whatever you ask us to do. But so that, yeah, it was so that was always with an understanding of why. I mean, we were pretty, yeah. pretty proficient at going back to the relating it to things they were doing at home and, and making sure they understood that we're doing this because fill in the blank. So I love that. So if I kind of think about that in a more general sense, everything was on the table. The question was just, how do you establish trust? First of all, to make sure that, mm -hmm. you know, people are going to come along with you. Um, and then, you know, just setting the table, so to speak, and making sure that you don't dive in too fast, and too hard. But, but if those two things were respected, it was all available to you. That, that's kind of absolutely. That's awesome. absolutely. And I, I think it, you know, as the, as the program progression, especially again with the seniors where we probably would have gotten more pushback on stuff like a snatch or a, an overhead squat, you know, the new people would walk in and go, well, shoot, everyone else is doing it. So I guess this is what we do. I mean, it was almost yeah. just, just, okay. And, and there was never, I mean, if there was an injury, obviously like any traditional gym, you're going to work around it. And the weights, it wasn't like we were throwing around, you know, 155 pounds at an overhead mm -hmm. squat. It was a training bar, but you're still having to work through that range of motion and that capacity and really developing that. And it was awesome to watch the change in mobility and function just by yeah. being introduced to those things. The, so, the organism has to be challenged, you know, and whatever, yeah, the, whatever yeah. the appropriate challenge is, you're not going to get the benefit if you just stay right. comfortably in your box yeah. and don't challenge it. You should have printed on the wall that Glassman quote of, you know, the needs of our grandparents oh. and Olympic yeah. athletes differ by degree, not kind. I mean, you were the living, that class, the living personification yeah. of precisely that you've got somebody down the street training for the games doing crossfit and then your special population doing crossfit you know but you're just yeah. we're just slicing the pie in a little bit of a different way depending upon who's in the class well, and there was just, nobody that was more aware of that than greg let me just tell you that and he was yeah. a frequent visitor of that program because i think in his mind like yes that's it that's what this is that's what it 
should look like if that's the target population that you're going for. And I think just watching, I mean, this, honestly, you guys, it was an experiment. It's just, right. hey, is this even going to work? And holy crap, did it work, right? And now let's start collecting data on exactly what we're seeing with that. And uh, just, you know, it could have it been an epic fail. It just, it wasn't, so. And not only did it work, but I would think, for lack of a better way to say it, it would almost work better than with most people. And what I mean by that is if you have somebody walk in who's already a great athlete, there's not a lot of room left to grow and develop. But you have somebody come in who's extremely deconditioned, who's extremely everything. The sky's the limit. I mean, we're going to yeah. literally change your life, whereas we get this yeah. person from a, uh, a 230 800-meter dash to a 221. Like, great. It's gonna super, <laughs> yeah. but you know, not with these people. I mean, you literally save some folks' lives. That's, that's incredible. Well, absolutely. I, I think you can think about it the same way as like, uh, like poverty. You know, If you have somebody who's living in abject poverty and you give them $10,000, like that can be – that's like the whole world right there. That's yeah. a mm-hmm. life-changing amount of money. And, and certainly, it's no small amount for anybody. But – if you talk to somebody who's got a million dollars in the bank and you're like, hey, here's 10 grand, the impact that that's going to have on them directly is so much smaller. I think it's exactly what Pat just said, right? Like on the physical side, it's, you see the same thing. Um, but like, Michelle, I just want to highlight, like I love so much this attitude that is, uh, yeah, the, this is for you. It doesn't matter where you are in life. This is for you. And, and on the flip side, I just have to point out how much I detest the insidious nature of the inverse of that. And I feel like so many people get suckered into it and they believe that, oh, this is not for you. This is for somebody else. This is too hard. This is too complex. This Mm. is too something. This is for other people. And I Mm -hmm. I reject that attitude in in almost anything in my life. And I, Mm -hmm. I hope that people that are working in this space, you know, the CrossFit world more largely have that attitude of like, no, this is for everybody and this this can be applied and it has the benefit that we've been talking about and it's worth it, you know? And I think Absolutely. you guys are such a powerful case that proves that. Yeah. So hats off to you guys. It's, it's awesome. Oh, I appreciate that. I think for me, it was, um, I, I know both of you had kind of seen the, the white wall that we created in the gym that was evidence of that where people would come in and, and pull me aside or one of the coaches aside and be telling us, these things that were happening in their life. And um, it just dawned on us one day, like we need to be writing this down. Like this needs to be just in the face of everybody that walks in this gym. And so there was just for the audience, there was a, there was a wall. It was just stark white in the gym. And I put out a bunch of Sharpie markers and we split it in half the things that you, the goals you have and the things you've accomplished. And it would bring a tear to my eye every Mm -hmm. time I would read it because it wasn't like, got a 350 pound deadlift that none of that was on this wall. It was, I didn't sell my house because I can go up and down my stairs. Now it was, I can yeah, lift up my wow. grandchildren. I can buy dog food at the grocery store now. Cause I can lift the bag. I, it was just stuff that you go, Oh my God. So yeah. it, it, when we say this is for everyone, I agree with you. I think the, the underlying uh, note is that, CrossFit had a reputation of being, whether that was the games or social media or what people had been exposed to, that you had to be in shape before you did it. That was Mm -hmm. only for young people, that you had to be fit before you did that stuff. And so to really throw that back and say, absolutely not, that this is evidence that 
when we say this is appropriate for everybody and scalable and, and that you can't argue the results that we got. And there were no sicker people or older people than the ones we were getting in that program. And so I just think that's an excuse like anything else. And if, if you don't want to do it, then don't do it, but don't make excuses for it because that's crap. And uh, I have no patience for that. So just, I, I, that just never sat well with me either. So it was awesome to have the opportunity to actually put that into play. I have a handful of things I'd like to shotgun you with. Oh, thanks. Okay, you the Jeopardy, the Jeopardy trial round. Okay, just the speed round. And, and just because um, maybe there are some trainers listening to this and and they're starting to buy in. And they're like, "Oh, it does sound rewarding. It does sound cool." Like I see, uh, but I, you know, so I'm going to throw some classic workouts at you that mm-hmm. every trainer would know what they would do or their normal scale, so to speak, but you had to work differently. So what would just some things would pop in your mind when I say now, Fran, right? We're going to do thrusters and, and kipping chin over bar pull-ups. What are some things that maybe you've seen work for those two movements with that? What, what would Fran look like in the special population? I'm sure there's a thousand examples, but what's one or two? Um, lighter loads, obviously that's the easiest scale to go to our dumbbells mm-hmm. for sure. Maybe squatting to a box and then up or or just getting any, like a plate from their shoulders to overhead was great. Pull-ups we would, for those that it was appropriate, yeah, ring row. I think that's traditional standard scale and that works great in the gym. But if you can't support your weight, then it was PVC and we would have them sitting on a bench and they're pulling down to their chest and you can make those very challenging. So we're still getting the push-pull that would happen in Fran on just a... So for anyone who can't yeah. envision that, if, I think I've seen what you're talking about when you did it. You would have them maybe sit on a box under a pull-up bar. You'd put a resistance yep. band over the pull-up bar, loop yep. it through the PVC pipe. And so they yep. would pull it down. They would get themselves almost like a lat pull-down, so to speak, but yep. using the resistance band. And you can, like you said, a great way to do pull-ups and make it as challenging as you want, depending upon how many bands you throw on there. Yeah, the majority of the people we had in our classes could not hang on a pull-up bar. They can't support their body weight from a hanging position. So it was, again, just can we go back, even on a ring row, like that was just too much Mm -hmm. on them. So to be able to deload that a little bit and, again, just take it back to what the function of it. It's still a pull, right? Great. I mean, that that works really effectively for most of those people. What about a workout that involves running? So running... um, we would allow them to do some form of power walking, obviously, if that was a little bit more appropriate and the impact was too much. We would scale just like anything else. They can still bike. They could still do all of the things that you would scale appropriately in the in the in a gym that I think is a little bit more traditional. Um, we did have some people that because of weight parameters, and, and this is I had to learn this. Um, your rowers the weight capacity on a rower was less than some of the participants we had in the gym. So doing things like putting a, a bench over the top of a rower and letting them sit on that and go through the pole. Oh, interesting. Okay. Was, yeah, well, um, thought of that. yeah I just would take like the bench press yeah. benches and stick them over the top of it. So they could support the load and they would still be able to row within that. Okay. So um, right, it, it worked pretty well. Yeah, I got two in that same vein, shotgun style. So, okay, so we were talking lifting before. What was the favorite lifting movement for this for this group? Like, what were they always fired up to do? 
And then second, deadlift. generally, <laughs> okay, deadlift is, is that easy? Deadlift is like a moneymaker. And then second question is, um, what would you say was like the most common go-to movement? Like what would, what do you, what would you find yourself programming kind of more than, than anything? Oh, and maybe um, the answer is deadlifts. I don't know. <laughs> what would I program more than anything? Kettlebell swings. Okay. I think it was a really effective one where they could still move some weight and the intensity piece was always there for them, um, which was good. It was like the one-two punch. Um, I don't know that there was one overriding program. We were at the time following .com. And so we would adjust based on what the programming was on, on .com. And if I had to switch some stuff, but they, uh, they did the open, they did all of that stuff. So, oh, cool. I mean, it wasn't, wasn't like I was solely doing the programming for yeah. that. So, so let, really let me, let me flip it. How about the most avoided movement? <laughs> Overhead squats. Okay, that makes sense. And it was very challenging. And so it was one of those days that you kind of had to like send out a, okay, everyone, overhead squats are Thursday. You're up. Make sure you, you know, <laughs> come in Get with prepared. extra coffee. Yeah. And, and I wouldn't say we, I mean, we did a lot of overhead movements, but to do like a push press was way easier because you've got all the momentum helping you to be able to support that load overhead just looked very different. And it was okay that the elbows were bent in there, you know, the Pat Sherwood style. Yeah, I was spot, just right? going like, to say, what's wrong with that? <laughs> yeah. Works well, like a champ. I was like, cool. Okay. And, and keep in mind, you know, that, that went all the way down to, um, we had a couple of our older seniors towards the top end that couldn't even get their hands above their head. So then it became, okay, can you take a, a five pound plate? And we had the giant five pound plates. So they mm. had a little bit of width on them. And can you just hold it up here? And we would do a static hold, to try to get that and then come back down. So when I say scaling, it's like they weren't squatting with that weight. They're trying to get the weight up over their head and try to gain some mobility and function back. So it looked nothing like an overhead squat day in a traditional gym, which was great, which was absolutely great. So, but they were still having to challenge themselves in that regard. What if the workout of the day had jumping rope in it? Mm, oh God, I love that question. Um, so a couple things we came up with jumping rope, one of which was um, a plate jump versus a rope where they could trip on it. So if they were still getting some form of a jump, that was great. However, we had a lot of people that could not jump with their full body weight, mm. whether that was because they were heavy, right. And couldn't do that or just, um, too frail mm -hmm. to do that. So we would do what's called a box jump. And so we would stack the boxes up to about belly button height, maybe a little higher. They would place both hands on a corner of the box okay, for and then lean into it. So they're still lifting both feet. It was almost like a hip height off of the box. Both feet are still coming off the ground. They're still getting a jump out of it, but they're supporting some of their body weight on the box. Okay. It very was cool. awesome to watch that. So you could do it with two boxes too and have them lift their feet off the ground, but it, they were getting too much help with two boxes. So we kind of went back to just a single box mechanism. It was awesome. I've got a, a couple more questions here. So you touched on this earlier. Um, and I think it was when Boz asked the question about or is, is a younger trainer an appropriate trainer for this population, et cetera, et cetera. And you made uh, a comment about, well, yes, as long as they don't think that everything's about intensity or something like that. So, you know, we're used to doing workouts for time, you know, and it's 2159 for time. And, and that's, that's what it is. Were you doing workouts for time? What did intensity look like 
for this segment of the population? Um, yes, we, we did workouts for time. I might extend the time domain a little bit or change the time domain a little bit. What I mean by that is um, there might be a minute rest or a 30 second rest placed in between some of these rounds to allow them to kind of take everything down a little bit. Oh, I time like that. Was not, well, <laughs> me too. I'm going to um, start doing that. <laughs> he's like, wait a minute. I, I yeah. feel like I do that naturally. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, right? Yeah, so think like a 20-minute AMRAP. And we did long workouts like that where we okay. would say, okay, so every three minutes, we want a 30-second or a one-minute rest. So three on, one off for the next 20 minutes. So it's just changing that parameter a little bit to let them kind of bring their heart rate back down again. I won't say that intensity was our sole focus. It wasn't. Mm -hmm. It was movement, um, range of motion, trying to work through that stuff and paying attention because you did have people that were trying to work way above where they should be. And it was always kind of that check-in of, can you talk to me in the middle of a workout? And if you can, which is good, then we need to take a little walk outside. And there was definitely some people that I'd be like, Hey, let's take a little walk outside and then come back in and hit it again. And then you just have to be mindful that, um, you know, the bleary eyed that we came both and all three kind of like take a couple of breaths and come out of, they can't. So it's, it's just being on your A game. I got to be honest with you and knowing yeah. that that's important, but it shouldn't be foremost in your mind with mm-hmm. this. And it, it was evident when we first brought in coaches, cause we had a whole guest coaching program where we would bring coaches in and, and have them teach just a warm up, And then they would run a workout. And inevitably it was always kind of, you know, I'd check in with them the day before and like, whatever your warm up is, cut it in half. <laughs> just cut it in half. I'm just going to tell you that right now. Because they come in with this long list. I'm like, oh God, no, that's not going to end well. And just rethinking like, hey, wait a minute. It's okay to like, I'd give them a movement or two and then, hey, let's chat for a second <laughs> and not even tell them we're going to rest because then they get, we can do it. It was implement those uh, yes. rest periods in right. a really okay. sneaky way so that you're trying to keep them engaged in the class and you're still bringing the heart rate down. And so we would do that pretty frequently where I would talk way longer than I needed to, because I can see that they're all turning red. So, right. you know, that, that kind of stuff was just paying attention to, to the feedback. You know, something else that you and your trainers did that I thought was spectacular and, and, and I don't know if it would be feasible for a traditional affiliate to do, but maybe it paid big dividends and it's worth it. And you haven't mentioned it yet, which is this would probably occur after you got to know the folks in your class and their limitations and what they could do and, and what the workout of the day was going to be. But, you know, back in the day, I might walk down into the gym. You're about to run a class. The class is going to show up, let's say, maybe in five to 10 minutes. And you and your trainers have already set up everybody's individual station for what they're going to need for their scale or modification. They haven't even walked in the door yet and it's taken care of, like they didn't have to do it. What was the thought process behind that? Is that something you'd recommend to other gyms? Um, I don't, I I think it's a stylistic choice for us. It was, um, some of it was just that the classes had gotten so big Mm, (laughs) that it was time saving more than anything else. Um, And we would, There was also that element of on the days when we maybe didn't have as many movements that we would allow them to explore a little bit more with those scaling options, but that wasn't always the case either. So it was kind of a case by case basis, but it definitely enabled us to 
um, fit the class within the hour that we had, because I think that can be very challenging if you're, um, there's some things that I think were so different in teaching these classes that um, you can't teach in a line, right? They have a lot of people with hearing impairments. And so if we tried to teach the class in a giant line, that never worked because the people down at the ends never heard what we were oh, saying. So okay. to have the gym set up like that, it was okay. Now collapse in around me. And I want you guys like look in their eyes and have them speak slower than you think you need to. And that wasn't in a condescending way. It was so that we were making sure the instructions were understood. And mm-hmm. um, those are the the considerations that I think we learned as we went that if I would have taught the way I normally teach in a class, I would have been an hour and a half class, which wasn't feasible. So it was more as a time saving gotcha. thing that we were we were understanding that um, those parameters eat up time if you weren't paying attention, for sure. Let's address the potential, heaven forbid it ever happens, elephant in the room, which is, do you need to be prepared to handle a real life emergency situation with this segment of society? And if so... Well, how do, what do you do? What, what, what is the, what should maybe a traditional gym looking to implement this? If they're already a regular gym and following their insurance protocols and what they have to have, are they good to go? Or is there something else you'd recommend? Ultimately, yes, I would say they're covered. Uh, you, uh, as a trainer, you should be CPR and AED certified anyway. Mm-hmm. But um, when we did start bringing in guest coaches, that was one of the aspects that we talked about was it's not a if it's a win situation with this group. So we did have uh, multiple emergency situations that happened in the gym. Um, Everything from just overexertion where we would have someone faint, pass out, Mm -hmm. go unconscious, um, to we actually had to use the AED on a couple occasions. So um, yeah, I, I, I think that's a... That's a risk in even a traditional gym. Absolutely. So if, I, I would tell any coach, if you're not prepared for that, you shouldn't be coaching as far right. as I'm concerned. Right. The difference is it's probably going to happen a little bit more prevalently if you're not paying attention with these people, because when it did happen, it happened in a split second. And mm-hmm. it's just, if, if you're not ready and willing to jump in and help in that situation, then don't coach this population because that um we had two people that we actually brought them back <laughs> like their heart stopped so that was okay um yeah i mean i think that some of it's medication wise they're on far more medications than a lot mm-hmm. of the people we deal with in sure. a traditional gym and that has a huge effect on how these workouts implement them and both of those cases that i'm talking about they had just changed some of the dosages on their meds and so oh interesting a, yeah it's a, it's a tricky thing where you know paramedics were like whoa okay Hang on. And I kept files right there. So if there ever was an emergency, we could tell the paramedics, here's the meds they're on. Here's the dosages they're on. This was just changed because it was a constant um, data collection of that stuff because you can save someone's life knowing that. So somebody that, uh, you know, has that circumstance they're confronted with, and I'm talking about the trainer now, you know, they're in the gym that happens. Um, I think it's easy for people to gravitate towards this mentality of, Oh, well, that right there means that the program is risky enough that we shouldn't be doing it. Right. So so how would you counteract that attitude? Because I know, obviously, my belief is that, no, the the risk is worth it for all these other benefits. Um, But how do you how do you stop that one kind of magnified moment in somebody's mind from being the dominant thought? 
Uh, and then how does how do you how do you have a coach that might be a little bit you know freaked out by something like that? How do they recover and get back to the game afterwards? Yeah, I mean, I think ultimately there's a risk in everything that you do, right? You, you could die across in the street for crying out loud. And I think it's um, I, I do think that the benefits that these people saw within their quality of life. And a lot of them got completely off of their meds. So that was huge. So that risk, I think they they all understood that coming into it. I don't think there was ever anything. We were not, again, pushing people past where they were ready to go. And in, in, mm-hmm. the, in the cases I'm speaking of, this was not like super high intensity Fran day that these mm-hmm. happened on. This was just something had been adjusted on the other side. And this was a reaction. Well, that could happen anywhere. It wouldn't sure. have mattered if they were at the gym or at the grocery store. I think God and both of them would, would attest to this, that they were where they were, where they had people that knew how to help them. And sure. we acted on it so quickly. So I, I think both of them would tell you it was a blessing that they were at the gym doing that stuff because their lives were saved. But um, so that was kind of the first first piece of that. I think coaches. It's, it's, you're gonna, there's an emotional aspect to that in any, with any population. And if you've ever been in a gym where something catastrophic has happened, I don't know that there's a way around that. And there is definitely an emotional piece to that, but it was also pretty cool to watch these people have an event like this within our classes to both of which were hospitalized for a couple of days and they came right back. Wow. Came back to yeah. the gym. That's awesome. <laughs> there, was not the, there was not even a question of, well, this is too much. I'm not going to do this. It was, when can I get back to working out? That's oh, awesome. And, well, and, and so, that right there has to be a huge testament to the benefit that they personally saw from being a part of this program. Because I, I, I believe that people get really comfortable with this idea of slow degradation, no matter how bad, is acceptable as long as you don't have a pinpoint incident along the way that can mm. be negatively viewed you know you see it all the time it's like man the end state is atrocious but yeah. because it was a slow decline eh, i'm not really concerned about it but that one bad fall or that one thing that i can point yeah. to that now becomes a risk that is too far and, and again i find that attitude to be not only just strange but it just it's so limiting in terms of what oh you could, yeah what you can reverse what you could achieve all of these good things that we know. So that's awesome that on a personal level, you saw, Hey, you know what? They might not even be able to articulate what was so powerful about this stuff, but it was good enough that even after this incident, they're like, that's where I need to be. This back. Oh yeah. That's, that's amazing. It was amazing. And I think, you know, this is a generation too, just to kind of touch on what you said, Boz, that's been fed this line of everything in moderation and don't put yourself at risk. Don't do fill in the blank. Mm Mm-hmm. And so to take even the stance of, well, I'm going to do it anyway, even, even though, even though maybe my doctor's not all on board and trust me, we had a lot of physicians that were trying to talk these people out of going. That was, that was a danger issue we had to deal with that. um, And my response was always, Hey, I'm I'm not your doctor and you have a relationship with your doctor, but let your body tell you what is working for you. Is your quality of life improving? Have you noticed a difference in the things you're doing outside? And I think, there was no overriding of anything a physician was saying. It was just, hey, sure. use your best judgment on this stuff. And you can tell if if you're feeling better and your your quality of life is improving. That was how many of those doctors six months later had the same attitude. 
Um, only one. And he was a cardiologist, which I think notoriously just, it, it was, it was never going to be a winning battle. Let me put it that okay. way. It wasn't, um, to me, it was someone who misunderstood what the program was. And so that lack of communication, and I actually reached out to him directly just to have a conversation. Like, just want you to understand. I had invited every physician into that program. Open door. Oh, cool. Come watch what we're yeah. doing. Oh, that's awesome. And we actually had a few of them that did that. Oh, but, that's great. Yeah. Which it was like, hey, let's have a physician open house. <laughs> Come and watch. No pressure. Yeah. Just sit in yeah. the back of the room and watch what these people are capable of doing and what they're doing to just give them a little bit more of a, okay, we're, we're not, you know, running people into the games for crying out loud. But well, outside of that one cardiologist, is it accurate to say that, you know, of, of the doctors that had trepidation of these people starting, you know, six, seven, eight months later, it was a small percentage that still had those same fears after they saw the benefit on the other end. Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, what, and I think it I, was, I mean, that's what I would expect, but absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And to see them again, you can't argue when someone no longer needs medication. Sure. That's, that's yeah. a, now, now it's just science, which I realize in our current climate doesn't mean anything, but in the real world where science <laughs> means something, right? Like, okay, those numbers, you can't argue with that. And well played, just, um, well played. <laughs> it was well yeah. played. <laughs> I just, you know, uh, it was, I don't know. It was really cool to watch that. And I think how much better did they feel being in a place where they didn't have to be on those, those pharmaceuticals? Yeah. You know, that was, that was one of our goals for sure in the program. I've got one more question for oh, you, Michelle. Shoot, shoot. Um, actually, two. If you'll if you'll indulge us, if you have the time. <laughs> so the first one kind of goes back to this uh, topic you mentioned, where you had this goal board and people writing down things that they you know were able to achieve now in the gym, and I, I think that's super cool. And so my question around that is, what in your observation? really inspired this group was it stuff that they could do personally or that they saw their peers doing was it people outside of their peer group that could do things that they aspired to like what was the primary inspiration for a lot of these people that you would hear about um definitely the goals were personal in nature although the wins within the community were huge and the, the support system that they gave to each other was amazing there wasn't so much of an emphasis put on the outside successes so okay. while they admired all of those athletes and, and again think about the coaches that were teaching this program those were all very well-established athletes yeah. in their own right it was not and and it was one of the things that i think we learned as we went was um i'll give you an example when we would do demo for the workout movements it was always done with really light loads because one of my things was they don't care <laughs> that you can throw a bunch of weight around. Oh, that means nothing to them. Good point. I want right. you to be able to, yeah, right. Like that's just at that point, it's almost disheartening. Just like, kind of oh, meet them where they Jesus. are. Meet them where they are and show it with an 18 pound kettlebell because that's what they're going to be using. And that mm -hmm. is fine. So it was kind of rethinking our framework and then allowing them goals that um, were some of which were very attainable and some of which were a reach and pushing them towards that. Like, okay, well, it's easy to say, here's your, here's the easy goal, but what about the one that you aren't totally sure you can get? That's the one I want you to write up on the whiteboard and oh, seeing like them that. be able to achieve that stuff was super cool. I, I mean, it just was, <laughs> I think you're proving to people that they can do way more than they're capable of. And that happens in every yeah. traditional gym too. But this is again, on just a different level. 
So yeah, that was, that was really the, the intent there was that I wanted to publicize the things they were pulling me aside and whispering in my ear. And I'm like, I should not be the only one hearing this stuff. Yeah. This should not just be held for me. I want everyone to celebrate this stuff because that's, holy cow, I got off soda. I, you know, that's a big deal in someone's life. And so let's celebrate that. Okay, I got one more final question. Um, so we've been talking about this group of people and, you know, it's a challenge, obviously, but it seems like it's a hugely rewarding path to, to walk down. Um, after being immersed in that world for so long, what new ideas or approaches did working with this group kind of instill in you so that when you get back to working with other athletes, what, what changed? How did it uh, affect your approach when you got back to just kind of your normal, you know, middle-aged gym goer who wants to be a little bit fitter? One of the things I think, um, scaling options, obviously I got very proficient at that, but it was how you approach introing options that will work for everyone in a, in a, in a more traditional setting. And what I mean by that was, I think sometimes we wait for people whether it's in a warm up or a workout to stand there and look at you like I you haven't given me an option that works for me. I was super guilty of that. Like okay, well, I'll do my whiteboard brief and here's the scaling options for today. Well, what happens to the person that that is inappropriate for? They're left there looking at you going, well, "What about me?" Mm-hmm. So, one of the things that I definitely took from that was don't wait for that and give everybody an option that will work for them. <laughs> Everybody. So when I now go through a warm up, it's, hey, we're doing inchworms. If you can, put your hands on the ground, walk out and bring your feet back to your hands. If that won't work for you, then I want you to just take a step forward, do a good morning and stand back up again. If that won't work for you, then I want you and just give that in the intro so that you don't have that deer in the headlights of, oh, well, I'm the person that's so far gone that there's not even a scale for me because that's what's going on in their head. And I got much, much better at addressing that right out of the get-go. Much more inclusivity, for sure, when you do it that way versus the person that feels like they don't belong. Awesome. So, yeah. And I didn't think I had any more questions. This is a really quick one. This is a really quick one, and then we'll wrap it up. Just for the gym owner who maybe is thinking, okay, I'm in. I'm going to do this. For this segment of the population, did you find any hours of the day were ideal for the to run the Mm. classes? Um, our seniors class was at 10 a.m. I think that was a good time. I always kind of thought they would veer earlier, <laughs> which was not the case. Okay, all right, so, good to um, know. Yeah, uh, 10, 11 a.m. was definitely our sweet spot where that was, um, they had their morning coffee, whatever it was that went mm-hmm. on. But man, that was the magic hour for sure. Having said that, I think um, if if the goal is that we're offering them an hour within your gym that is dedicated to them, I would also be mindful that they're not walking in at the end of beast mode hour where people are throwing a bunch of weights and they mm. feel like, Oh Jesus. So I think that you're That's dealing with a population point. that will make those adaptations based on where they're going to be comfortable. And if that's two in the afternoon, so be it where it's quiet and they have the gym to themselves because that part is also music's bumping and they don't, they can't hear this just not where they want to be. So create an environment that makes them feel like you actually want them there. And that's, that was key. 
For Tell you sure. what, I'm right there with him. I don't want to get a migraine headache with the music when I'm working out. I'm already there. I'm already there. <laughs> There's a balance, all right? I don't want to hear myself breathing either. So I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, I get it. Well, I get it. For let's sure. let's say let's end on this. I'll, I'll let you get back to your day. Which, by the way, thank you for being so gracious and giving us like yeah. an hour, an hour and a half of your time. Of if there are trainers or gym owners that are now like, yeah, it's super cool. Any just parting words, any advice for somebody that, advice to start, I guess. Yeah. Um, start, <laughs> right. I mean, I think that's, I think there are some strategies that will help along the way. I think if you can offer specific times or specific classes, maybe that are focused on these populations, it's going to be really, really helpful. Both populations. Um, again, if they've had a very negative experience in a gym, they don't want to walk in with a bunch of fit people. That's already what they've experienced. So Mm -hmm. allow them to have dedicated hours within your gym. I realize that's a big ask, but if, if think about the numbers we just talked about, you're talking about a huge increase in your membership. If you're willing to make those those adjustments in your schedule and, um, that's huge. And be willing to make mistakes. You're going to make mistakes mm-hmm. along the way. Yeah. And that's, that's part of the learning process. I made a ton, a ton of mistakes. I'm like, well, that's not what I wanted. Crap. Mm-hmm. I gotta go back and start all over again. And I think, um, there's no, there's no right way to do this. I think there's just figuring that out with whomever ends up coming into your class. And, and I say this all the time at the seminars, look at the person standing in front of you. One of the biggest mistakes I see coaches make is that this book right here says that I have to do A and then B and then C and then D. And if it doesn't go that way, oh my God. And instead, God, just address the person in front of you. They're a human being. And I think if coaches get to that point, then the rest of it will just fall into place. Authorize yourself to deviate from the plan. Yeah. Yeah. yeah 100%. Sure. Like Oz, anything, uh, anything else you got, man? No, I, I just want to say thanks, Michelle. As Pat said, I mean, this is so generous for you to give up uh, so much of your time. And I know that this is hugely valuable information for a lot of people, uh, not just, you know, coaches that want to get into this, but the people that genuinely need this type of training. Um, you know, I just think there's, it's not as available as it can and should be. So thank you for helping get it out there. Absolutely. I appreciate you guys having me. I could talk about this all day, as you both know. So well, we, um, we yes. might have to have you back. We might have to have you yeah, back. Absolutely. <laughs> anytime, anytime. Definitely my I'll say as I do. I'll say as I do at the end of all these episodes. If you're listening to it in a podcast, that's awesome, fantastic. You know, thanks for your support. But go to the Be on the Whiteboard YouTube channel, check this out, and post some comments. Boz and I read them. Uh, If you're interested in training this population, if there's something we didn't address, we should have Michelle back on. Some anything you write in there, we want to know. Is there something that? you do train this segment of society and you found this work really well, leave it there in the comments so that other people can learn from it. And we will absolutely give that our time and attention. But Michelle, you are awesome. And thank oh, you. Thanks, really guys. appreciate it. Oh, it's a lot of fun. Happy to, happy to hang out with you guys. So <laughs> thanks for having me on.